0: everyone welcome to the Grove Church Cultivate podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you so much for joining us. And we are now in week 3 of a 3-week series where we are just talking about kind of just a real deep dive into the gospel. That I just it's important for us as followers of Christ that the gospel not be something that we believe in when we first become a Christian and we kind of, well that's how I get to become a Christian and then we move on and we graduate from that and I kind of move on to the things I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to act. Was really a full understanding of what the gospel is and its implications on me and who God is and our relationship is really the foundational piece of every aspect of Christian living. From the character that I want to have, the things that I'm supposed to do, the bad things I'm not supposed to do, a full, deep, powerful understanding of the gospel is absolutely critical for all um, all aspects. Of Christian life. And so we need to make sure we understand it. And so we kind of broke this thing down into three parts. Understand what the gospel is. And first, if you've not listened to those two, I encourage you to stop right here and go back. Listen to the first two and get caught up and then come back and join us here. But in the first one, we talked about a couple a couple sessions ago is, you know, just how much God loves us. That the foundational principle that we need to understand is that there is a loving father. That loves us collectively and loves you specifically. That the love of God is big and overwhelming. And then last time we just kind of talked about, well, it just didn't really feel like that. It just—it feels like there's something wrong. It feels like God is distant. It feels like there's a problem in this world. If God loved us so much, why is there so much going on with the world? And people come up with a lot of different answers to that. Well, then obviously maybe God doesn't love us, or maybe God isn't very powerful. Maybe God doesn't care, or. Or, or or what? Like and so or we or we scapegoat people. It's this group of people. It's those people. It's people who act this way. It's people who do this. I mean, there's political answers to this question. If it just weren't for this group of people, and every every group finds another group that they want to scapegoat for kind of what's going on in the world. And the Bible has an answer to that question. The answer to that question is sin, and sin is the. It's not just the bad things that we do. It's anything that is less than God's ideal, anything that doesn't bring God his full glory. And, and our collective sin, our falling short, I mean, our, our rebellion against God, our willingness to kind of do our own thing instead of trusting and following God has brought death and destruction everywhere. In Romans 3, 23, we looked at that. It says um, that everyone has sinned and fallen short. And Romans six twenty three says that the wage, the penalty for that is death, both literal death and then just spiritual death, a separation from God, the isolation that we feel from him, from one another, the, the unease that I feel in my own soul. I mean, all of that, just kind of just death, literal and spiritual death everywhere. And that we have to take responsibility, not only for our own sin, but really just collectively. We, we have done this to ourselves. And so God loves you. And that's a big deal. But our rebellion against that is also a big deal. We looked at the, um, the story of the prodigal son, and we see this father who just loves his son so much. But we also found this son in a very desperate and dark place where he basically wished his, his, his dad was dead and, and, and wants to go live his own life and lives on his own values. And it goes horribly wrong he experiences death, both the isolation from um, his father, but then really close to starving to death. I mean, it was bringing death to him. And that's the part where we are, that's kind of where we are, where we left things in part two, that God loves us, but our rebellion has brought death. And So now, now, now what? So now we kind of get to really kind of the core of where the good news is. You know, the gospel is kind of a word. It means good news. And like, well, you know, Part two was not very good news, right? And that's not the good news part, but like part one, I guess part one was good news. God loves you. That's good news. Uh, but then part two is bad news, but it's the bad news that makes the good news so much better, right? It's, it's, that's what makes like when the, when the hero in the story is in such overwhelming despair and in such trouble when the, it's what makes the rescue, it's what makes the overcoming so much better. Like how bad was it? And look at what all he overcame. Like this, if I said Jesus died for you so you could have a better relationship with God, well, that's good. But if if where he found you was in such a desperate, isolated place full of death, the more we talk about what Jesus does to rescue us, to save us, the worse off we understand, the, the more we understand part two, the greater part three is. You know, I mean, Jesus says as much, you know, hey, you got somebody, if somebody's been forgiven a little bit or somebody's been forgiven a lot, Who's the happier one? Well, the one who's been forgiven a lot. And I think it is very, very important for us to just really let part two kind of sink in with us that we are all people who have been forgiven a lot. And we were all in that desperate situation. We were all that son who went our own way, did our own thing and lived lives of rebellion. And we're in a desperate, bleak situation. Because the more we understand that, the better and more awesome what Jesus Christ does for us, uh, the, the the better it gets. Right. All right. So God loves us, comma, but we have sinned. We've separated ourselves from God. We've separated ourselves from it. Now, now we 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 are experiencing spiritual death. We will experience physical death, and that spiritual death will continue beyond our physical death. That's that's the situation that we're in. All right. Now let's go to um, Romans five. Uh, It's all Romans five is so good. So I I if I if I start at verse one, then I'm going to get distracted and say a lot of other things. So we'll start with verse six to keep me a little more focused. Verse six, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, let's make sure we understand. Like so, you our sin separated us from God, and there is anything that we can do about it, and nothing we can do about it. You know, we can't be good enough. You can't. Again, if the idea is that once you're a lawbreaker, you're in prison. Once you have sinned, you experience death. There's no good thing that you can do to undo the bad thing. That's not how it works. You did the bad thing, you go to you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, you, you don't rob somebody. I, I steal a thousand dollars from them and then, but I gave them a hundred dollars back and it'd be like, okay, well, now I didn't rob them. You can't even give them the full thousand dollars back, but you still robbed them. You gotta go to jail, right? There's no no sense in which you can undo sin. You can't undo sin with another good thing. And so what he's describing is you're powerless. There's nothing that you can do. Well, while you were powerless, while you were, again, verse six, ungodly, you would rebelled against God. You're living under death. There's nothing you can do about it. At that time, Christ died for us. And so he explains this, verse seven. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. So you're trying to think like, you know, would I ever die for to to help somebody? Would I ever die for somebody? And Paul's like, maybe, maybe, maybe for like a really, really good person, you would do it. Maybe, right? Rarely that happens, but it does happen. You know, a good person someone might possibly do this, right? What he says in verse seven, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this died for us, it's really important. It's like and that the wages of sin is death, as we talked about in verse in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. So what is earned, what you have earned is death. And you see this phrase over and over again in the Bible, and you probably heard it a whole lot in church: Christ died for me. I earned death. Christ died for me that makes sense right I mean just think about it, just think about it like he he died for me we'll, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means but that's kind of what that's what Paul's getting at here right While you were a sinner, Christ died. He didn't die for you because like some really noble reason. I love you. You're my friends. You're such great people. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you so you can live. That's not what Jesus did. While we were sinners, while we were in open rebellion against God, so far, he's described us as powerless. He's described us as ungodly. He's described us as sinners. That's the situation. That's where Christ died for us. Verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? All right, so let's get powerless, ungodly, sinners, under God's wrath, God's enemies. This is how Paul is describing the situation we're in. Again, we talked about a lot of this in part two this is the situation that we were in. And it says, in that state, Jesus died for us. He took people that were God's enemies and sacrificed himself for them so that they could have life. That is how much God loves. And so really kind of takes the parable of the coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the prodigal son to a completely different level. It's not just that they really wanted it. And so they worked really hard to go get it. It's not just that the father stood out there and was excited when the son came back, but sacrifice, a huge sacrifice to go get them back. God, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, I mean, God sent Jesus, his one true son here to die for us while we were his enemies. And so when we talk about that, you hear this phrase get often used in a lot of churches, you know, Jesus saved me. You need to get saved. Are you saved? You know, what does saved mean, right? Saved means in Bible world what it means in regular world, right? I was in a desperate situation and somebody rescued me. So Jesus saves me. It could be saved me from drowning. I was drowning and Jesus saved me. That's, that's saved me. Like, but you weren't drowning. You weren't, um, you weren't in trouble and Jesus saved you. You were in active rebellion against God, against Jesus himself. You were in active rebellion. You were his enemies. You were under God's wrath. You, And, and he saved you while you were in active and open rebellion against him. And so that's just next level. It's not just an, a simple act of kindness of rescuing somebody from a burning building or rescuing somebody from you know, who's drowning. I mean, if I go to use a burning building, it's, it's rescuing the person who set the building on fire, who got caught in his own arson, going and rescuing that person. And you're the one that owns the house. A guy burns down your house, gets trapped in there, and you go in there to save him. I mean, the metaphors, the image, like we just can't come up with something, really, that just kind of gets to this level. And that's what Paul is trying to describe here. And he uses this word, and it's really important, reconciled. So we, we've got the word reconcile. We've had that. We've talked about righteous. We've talked about justified. All of these things are legal terms. To justify, you know what justify means. Like somebody did something bad and you, you ask them why they did it and they start telling you why. Man, you're trying to justify yourself, right? You've done something wrong. I'm trying to make something wrong and turn it right. That's what it says. When Jesus justified, you were wrong. Jesus died so that you could be Right? Says he also reconciled us. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Well, two people are in conflict and then they get reconciled. They're now no longer in conflict. Jesus reconciled you to God. You were in conflict with God. Jesus' death brought reconciliation to that. Now, throughout the years of Christian history, kind of how this works has kind of had some different ideas. But what we believe, and here's your fancy phrase for the podcast, right? It's called substitutionary atonement. When we say Jesus died for sins, what we mean is He died in your place. You had brought death upon yourself. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. You've brought death, so someone has to die. But the free gift. This is the second part of Romans six twenty three. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So you brought death on yourself, and that's what you've earned. But God gives you a gift that's life. And the way that that works is somebody had to pay the wage. You've earned death for yourself and someone has to pay the wage. And so he justifies you. He make he makes your wrong right and in addition to that gives you a gift, the gift that is eternal life. He gives you he gives you he gives you life instead of death what you've earned for yourself. He pays the penalty, the price for your death and then in addition gives you eternal life by making you right, by justifying, by reconciling, by making by by mending that relationship. 1 Peter 3:18 says something really cool too. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He suffered, he suffered for your sins. That's how what he did. He died on the cross. He was suffering. The righteous, the one who is in good standing with God, for the unrighteous, the one who is the sinner, who is in the wrong standing with God. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. So he was killed. He was killed in his body. It's this death, but it was for you. Why? So that you could be brought to God, a righteous one for an unrighteous one. You, in order to be in right standing with God, you have to be righteous, but you're not, you're unrighteous. So a righteous one, someone who is in right standing with God died in your place. And now Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says something also very, very important. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith not of yourself not as a result of work so that no one can boast again it is not based on what you do it is by grace and grace is something a gift that is freely given back to Romans 623 the gift of God it's a gift it is something that God gives you not something that you earn you don't earn a gift you don't you don't before you can open your Christmas I don't give a Christmas present once you clean your room nope You just get the Christmas present. You don't open a Christmas present and, like, it cost me 20 bucks. I'm going to need 20 bucks from you. That's not how gifts work. It is a gift. It is free, not based on works, not based on what you do. You can't brag about it, is what it says Ephesians 2 8 and 9. This is something that Jesus did for you freely. This is Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice, dying in your place, substituting himself for you. Are righteous for the unrighteous so that you could be brought to God. He died for you so that you could have life. It's not based on anything that you do. It's not because you're a good person. It's not because you're going to do good things in the future. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with part one. God loves you so much that even though you were in active rebellion against him, he sent his son to die in your place. Not based on anything that you've done not based on anything that you're doing, not based on anything that you're going to do. It is completely and totally free. And so one of the reasons why I say that this is of incredible importance is because we've got all these things now that we're supposed to do, ways that we're supposed to live, money we're supposed to give, ways that we're supposed to serve, ways that we're supposed to love, all these things now that God has called us to do. Do I have to do them to earn God's favor? No. Do I have to do them because I have to, this is what I have to do to keep God's favor. No. Why do I do it? Well, I do it because one, he's God. And I do it too, really because part one, he loves me so much. And I was in such a desperate situation. And what he did for me was so great. I want to live a life of gratitude and be in that sort of loving relationship with my father. We act, we act like this, we just act like this is so hard. We act like this is so hard. Like, I don't understand what, well, if, if I don't have to do it, then why do I do it? What do you mean what do you mean have to I mean he's God he told you to do it do it what if I don't what do you mean what if I don't? He loves me and I'm in relationship with him and he's God and he's the father he's the king and so he loves me I want I, I want to I, I get to He saved me from a pit he saved me from death and I want to live a life of gratitude and appreciation for him and and what he's what he has done for me. And that is the kind of motivation that will last for a long time. Like I've got to earn God's favor that won't last very long because if you try to earn God's favor instead of trusting in Jesus, you're going to fail because you can't. And once you've received Jesus and he has forgiven you and given you life, if you're trying to keep God's favor, trying to keep God happy by, by doing good things, you're going to be just as frustrated because it doesn't work. There's no amount of good things that you can do to please, to make, to be perfect. You can never be perfect and perfect is the standard. But you know what I can do is I can each and every day try to show some appreciation and gratitude to a God who overwhelmingly loves me. And really it's the unconditional love of God that is the greater long-term motivator. He loves me unconditionally. He saved me at my worst. He keeps letting me come back to him. I wanna love him. I wanna honor him. And so as we're trying to overcome things, as we're trying to be a better person, as we're trying to serve, I'm trying to honor God with my money. I'm trying to be a better husband. I'm trying to be a better dad. I'm, I'm trying to live the life that God's called me to. I, I need to take a step back. Uh, okay, I'm trying to be who God's called me to. Who is God? Oh, the God that loved me so much. He loves me. The one who rescued me at my worst. The one who freely gave me life. I'm so overwhelmingly thankful for him. And I live and rest in his love. If this is what he wants me to do, I'm gonna I'm I'm try to do it. I'm gonna try to do it because I love him. And that is the motivation that's gonna keep you going. And if you find yourself frustrated tr- that you just can't do and be what you feel like you're supposed to be, I think very often it comes down to we're just a little off on the gospel. We're trying to earn something that can't be earned rather than lovingly honoring and respecting a God that loves us so much, that my gratitude and my love is what motivates me, because that brings peace. That I've got something to earn that I can't earn is only going to bring anxiety and fear and discouragement. So the more you can rest and that Jesus did all the work, the easier it's going to be for you to do the work that God has called you to. The more essential it becomes that you do the work, the less we remember and reflect on the gospel and the harder it gets. That can be so counterintuitive sometimes because most of the things that we're motivated to do have some sort of, I must do it. But really our greatest motivation in our relationship with God is not that I must do it, is that I get to do it as an act of love and devotion and gratitude to the one who has given me so much. And the more I recognize how big part one is, how much God loves me, and the more I recognize and understand how desperate my situation is, the more beautiful and amazing Jesus' death for me is, the more than I understand the gospel, the more then my life can reflect the values that God wants me to live. And so I hope you've enjoyed kind of these three weeks, just kind of doing this deep dive into the gospel. And I hope it'll just sink in deep. Whether you're processing this for the first time, the second time, or the 100th time, I just pray that God would just kind of let the gospel sink deep into your heart and your soul to let it just be something that is deeply real and motivating to you, that I really do understand or trying to understand the depths of the love of God, that I really do understand the depths of the consequences of my sin. And then by putting those two things together, I recognize the overwhelming love that God showed me through His Son, Jesus Christ. So thanks for joining us. And if you're local, we'd love to see you at The Grove sometime. Check us out, grovechurch.org connect. Get the info on our service times. We'd love to meet you. If you're not around, still go to that same website. Check us out. You can see us online. We'd love to meet you there. We'd love to know that you're listening. And anyway, no matter who you are, if there's any way that we can help, serve, love you, please let us know. Again, Charlie Lofton, lead pastor there. And thanks for joining us.